Our first scripture reading this evening will come from the Gospel of Mark. We'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We'll be beginning in verse 43. And then afterwards we'll turn to Colossians 3 verses 5 through 11. And we'll read God's Word this evening under the heading of Dealing with Sin in Your Life. From Mark 9 verse 43. beginning in verse 43 of chapter 9 of the Gospel of Mark. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And then we'll turn to the letter of, to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 5. The Apostle writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked, while you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. My dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. The grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but this word of God shall stand forever. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, too many people today do not take seriously the problem of sin. We live in an interesting time. Whatever your opinion may be this evening, there is a recorded 190 million reported cases of COVID-19. Estimates say that 4 million people of those who have contracted the virus are said to have died. We have been told by government officials, we have been told by politicians that we need to take this virus very seriously. And now I know we're two years away from when this started, and you know things have gotten a lot more looser, and thankfully there's no more mask mandates or restrictions on worship and different things of this nature. But when this all first started, think back at how seriously we took those first reports. 
I don't know what it was like here in the United States, but there were people rolling around on the Costco floor fighting for toilet paper. Which is the real reason I wasn't shaking anybody's hand back then. See, whether you're afraid of the virus now, I'm willing to bet that many of you were once afraid of this. And at one point, did take it seriously. You see, 190 million people are said to have had the coronavirus, but 7 billion people are infected with sin. 4 million people are said to have died from this virus, but the Scriptures say, every soul that sins shall die. Even many people who go to church do not take seriously the problem of sin. People will say, because Jesus is merciful and loving, because of His Gospel grace, I do not need to take seriously the wickedness that is present in the world and the wickedness that is present in my own heart. And it's true. Jesus is loving. Jesus is merciful. We spoke this morning of He gives us His grace and righteousness in His resurrection. All of that is true, but the people who claim this and say I don't need to work on my sin in my life are the very same people who miss Jesus' teaching about His hatred of sin. And the hell that results from sin. And how it's the duty of every one of us here in this room this evening to be killing sin. Church, let's be honest with one another this evening. Jesus Christ hates sin. It caused His death. Every time we are out and about in this world and we see, we see pain and suffering, the root of all of that is sin. The root of death is sin. Injustice is sin. The root of all evil in this world is because we sin. That's the instruction. That's our lesson that we need to learn this evening is that it's our duty to be killing our sins. Depending on which Bible translation you have, it can use an older word, which is an important word for even our young people to learn. It uses the word mortify. I think that's even what the NIV says. Mortify or kill means to put to death. Or literally, to make dead. This is why we had two Scripture readings this afternoon. Jesus teaches us in Mark 9 that to kill the flesh, or to kill our sins, I should say, is not to sprinkle a little grace on top of our sins. Nor is it a sweeping of our wrongs under the rug. Jesus and the Apostle Paul say, We are to be violent with our sins. We are to aggressively, we are to fiercely be killing our sins each and every day of our lives. It uses graphic language. And the reason the Bible speaks with graphic language when we need need to kill our sins 
is because, put it this way, if we are not killing sin, John Owen said, sin will be killing you. Paul said in Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It is our duty to put to death the old man and to clothe ourselves in the virtues of Christ. So I want to show you that in three points this evening. We need to kill our sin because it destroys us in Colossians 3, verses 5-7. through We need to kill our sin because it destroys our relationships in verses 8-9. through And we need to kill our sin because it honors God. We need to kill our sin because it destroys us, it destroys our relationships, and because it honors God. Let's look at what Paul says in verses 5-7 through there. We should kill our sins because it destroys us. You know, it should go without saying, everyone knows this this evening, that there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. Indwelling sin will always abide with us while we are on earth. No matter how good someone may act, no matter how theological their answers are at Bible study or Sunday school, there is always more sins that need to be killed in our lives. The first thing I want you to notice this evening from these words we read is that look who is called to kill sins. Notice the audience to whom Paul is speaking when he says, put to death what is earthly. Who is he speaking to? He is speaking to Colossian Christians. To those who, chapter 3, if you just look at verse 1, who are risen with Christ. Verse 3, those who died with Christ. Verse 4, to those whose whole life is Christ and who would one day reign with Him in glory. It's the same thing with Jesus' words in Mark 9. He is not speaking to the crowds of people. He's not speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to His disciples. The same men who saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. The same men who loved Him, who He said He would die for, who He said would reign with Him in glory, yet it is still their duty to kill indwelling sin. Brothers and sisters, this teaching is for us. It's for Christians. Christians are said to be in 1 John those who are free from the condemning power of sin. We're given a new nature. We are the redeemed humanity, yet still we struggle with sin. And therefore, we must kill our sins. There's no one among us who is without sin. We have all sinned. And everyone in this room knows what I'm talking about. Paul's teaching this evening isn't evangelistic. It's apostolic. It's for you and it's for I. We must make it our daily work, always while we have breath, every time our feet touch the ground in the morning to be killing sin. So what are we to kill? Paul says in verse 5, he says, the earthly nature... That's the old man and its sinful ways. John Calvin says old man means that we, whatever we bring from our mother's womb and whatever we are by nature, that's what we are to kill. We are born sinners. 
You're all good Calvinists. You should know this. We are born with a sin nature. I once heard a preacher tell a story that he was potty training his child and in the middle, and the one day they woke up in the morning and the kids' diapers were gone. Or the pull-ups, I should say. And he says, well, where's your diapers? Well, I took them off and I went to the potty. Great job. We're so proud of you. Keep up the good work. And then one day, mom's vacuuming under the bed and what does she find? But a pile of pull-up diapers. We are born with a sin nature. It naturally rises up in us. It come, doesn't come only from imitation, but can also, it also comes from our birth. Notice the words he says, put to death your earthly nature, your members. Your is possessive, meaning that this sinful earthly nature is ours. It is true what David said in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. There is a force of decay at work in every man. This decay, this law of sin, this earthly nature, it needs to be shrunk, it needs to be starved, it needs to be mortified. We've all experienced this. We have all, including myself, been shocked with the sinfulness of our own hearts, haven't we? When we ask ourselves, did I really just say that? Did I really just do that? Did I really just watch that? And we cry out with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am! We're all struggling with sin. But Jesus says in Mark 9, this is a battle you must fight. All the days of your life, till your dying breath, fighting within yourself the law of sin. And if we don't deal with our sins... They will produce in us greater, more cursed, more soul-destroying sins. There's an insect, I hope to never meet it, called the tarantula hawk wasp. And this wasp will find a tarantula spider and it will lay its eggs in the spider. And the spiders will then hatch within this, or the uh, Wasps will then hatch within the spider and it will begin to devour its non-essential organs until the spider dies and then they come out of it. It kills the hosts in order that it can grow and it can live. And dear Christian, so it is with sin. It resides within us. It wreaks havoc upon us. And we, until we are destroyed from the inside out. Look at what Paul says in verse 5 is the fruit of indwelling sin. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This is a list of sins that pertain to us as individuals. Sexual immorality is the gratification of our 
own lusts. Impurity is referring to unnatural desires such as adultery, incest, rape. Passion is when our minds are taken up with unjust thoughts. Evil desires is the wickedness of our own hearts when we hate the things of God. Covetousness, which is lacking contentment and desiring what others have rather than what God has given you. All of these things that Paul lists in these verses describe the sinner as he is in himself. These are the things that happen in our own minds, happen in our own um, thinking, as opposed to sinning against others. But every time we do these things, sin is welling up within us, and it kills the host. And we must kill sins, Paul says in verse 6, because God is angry with sin. He says in verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. My friends, there's so many people today who want an easy Christian life. We don't want to fight against sin. It would be easier just to look the other way. But Jesus says in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter heaven maimed than to go to hell with all of your body parts. God hates sin, brothers and sisters. God hates sin so much that He put Jesus on the cross to die for sins that He would not be in the presence of sin. Sin is the corruption of His good work. It's the rejection of godly morals. It's the embracing of Satan's morals. Sin is not becoming of believers. The God who so loved us that He sent His only Son into the world hates sin. That's why we kill sin. in which we all once walked when we lived in them. The believer's life is not to be characterized by those things that the wrath of God is against. What Paul will say later in this epistle in verses 12-17 through is he will say the life of a Christian should be characterized by Christ and should be characterized by God's good virtues. I know the subject of sin isn't a fun subject. But if you've ever had need for surgery in this life, you know that surgery is necessary, but it's never fun. Involved in surgery, right, is the cutting away of the flesh, the removal of what's dead and what's damaging the body so that we can recover. Likewise, the Christian life is not easy. Killing sin is hard work. For all of us, the reason we have sin is because we have an affinity to it. We like drunkenness because it makes me feel better. Being angry with my family gets my frustration out. Vanity is comforting words we tell ourselves. But God is saying to us, just like the doctor says with the scalpel, you need to let these things go for your own good so that you can have life. But we struggle with sin. 
And so often we fight and we fall down and we're discouraged. But something I want to encourage you with this evening, dear Christian, is even your fighting and failing against sin, as long as you keep fighting, it pleases God. Your getting up again after failing in God's commandments, after resisting temptation, taking God's Word and fighting, your Heavenly Father delights in this. Even in our sins, God's purpose is not thwarted. He humbles us by them in order that He might raise us up again. That we might have a closer dependence on Him. We might see the present wickedness of our hearts and that we might fight. Continue to fight against our sins. Don't give up. Keep fighting. But Paul goes on. If we're not sufficiently convinced, he says in verses 8 and 9, we need to kill our sins because it will also destroy our relationships. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now if you think back on Old Testament history, you remember that the most sorry and despised person in the Jewish Old Testament society was a leper. Leprosy is a flesh-eating disease that destroys the flesh and the nervous system of the host. And the whole body would be destroyed by this disease. Even so much so, uh, there's one, I think it's earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it says that they wrap the cloths tightly around their bodies to try to hold themselves together. So that their body parts literally wouldn't fall off of them. But its secondary effect was that the leper was an outcast of society. And this wasn't because they were grotesque, but it was because Numbers 5, if you remember, says that if you come into contact with a leper, you would be ritually unclean. This becomes then an illustration of sin throughout the Scriptures. Sin destroys us, but it also begins to contaminate those around us. Our loved ones. Our friends. And our families' teeth are cut on the sour grapes of our sin. Abraham Kuyper, one of my favorite theologians, he says, humanity falls apart through sin. In a multiplicity of separate peoples, when sin is in the bosom of these nations, it separates men and tears them apart. He then turns, Paul Paul turns to invisible sins that harm those around us. The first set of sins harmed only us, but we see now that sin harms those around us. He says anger, wrath, malice. This is the appetite for revenge, hatred in our hearts for someone else who is made in the image of God. Slander and filthy language that is speaking words of gossip, defamation, speaking evil about someone as well as cursing. Lying is the involuntary setting forth of what is false, or sorry, the voluntary setting forth of what is false with the intent of deceiving. These sins are invisible. But these are the sins that occur to the detriment of our neighbor. Anger, slander, lying, all harm our fellow man. So then not only does our sin kill us, but like a virus, it spreads to those around us. Often when we sin, 
swearing, drunkenness, lust, whatever it may be, we think it will only affect me. But we know that this isn't the case. Sin begets more sin. Not only in us, but also in others around us. And the more we sin, the more it spreads to our spouses, our children, and our friends. When I was back home in Canada, when I worked at the RCA church, I also worked at a soup kitchen in downtown Toronto. I remember one evening, Saturday evening, after we were closed, we had a man come in um, who was half naked, beaten up, his teeth were broken, it was a horrible picture. And I was able to clean him up and get him a change of clothes and some food. And he confided in me that evening that he was addicted to methamphetamine. And he said to me, Jacob, drugs have ruined my life. My children hate me. The government won't let me see them any longer. And if I can't quit this drug, I will die. This is a profound confession. Our sins this evening might not be an addiction to methamphetamine, but the results will be the same. Our sin does not only affect us, but it affects our spouses, our children, and societies. It affects all our lives, and it kills our souls. So this evening, we must ask the most important question. How do I kill my sin? How do I deal with the wickedness in my heart? Effectively, with the power of the Spirit, so that I can walk in the newness of life that the Bible says is mine in Christ. That's our third point. We kill our sins because it honors God, and I want to teach you how to kill your sin. It is said in the Scriptures that God's will for the church is not only that we would be saved, but that we would progress in holiness on earth. So how do we do this? It's actually quite simple. There is two ways that we put sin to death. The two-edged sword in which we put to death our sin is we look to Jesus in faith and we repent. We look to Jesus in faith and we repent. Look at what Paul says in verses 8 and 9. But now you must put them all away. How are we to stop the most vicious spread of diseases? Let's turn to those two tools that God has given us. We need to turn or repent from our sins. The imagery Paul uses here is that of a garment. That when we become Christians, we are to throw off our old ways like we throw away an old coat. You must put them all away. The same word is used in Acts 7, verse 58, when they, at the stoning of Stephen, they all put their coats on the ground before Saul's feet. So too, we need to take off and lay down our old nature. We need to turn from our wicked ways every day. We need to discipline the flesh, repenting each time we fall, being numbered with the righteous publican who beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to turn from our sins. Don't get comfortable with sin. The world cries out to us, peace, peace. 
with drunkenness. Peace, peace with pornography. Peace, peace with homosexuality. Peace, peace with covetousness and vanity and swearing and intoxication and pride. But there is no peace with sin. It seeks to destroy you. To destroy your family. To destroy our church. And so we need to run. We need to put off our sins. But it's not enough to put off. But brothers and sisters, we need to put on this evening. We need hearts filled with Jesus Christ. We need to put on the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse 10. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. So not only do we turn away from our sins, we need to put up boundaries and roadblocks that keep us from sinning. We need to have accountability. We need to do all of these different things and eat in various circumstances of our lives. But we need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to believe upon Him. So the question becomes, how do I believe upon Him? John Owen in his seminal work, The Mortification of Sin, he says there's three ways that we believe upon Christ. There's three ways that the Spirit puts to death sin in us. The first is that He causes our hearts to abound in grace. It's not enough that we empty our hearts of sin, but we must also be filled with righteousness. The Spirit needs to rain grace upon our hearts so that may flower in the fruits of the Spirit. We need to be filled with godly virtues. Practically, what this means then is that we need to increase the grace of God in our lives. When we struggle with sin, we need to devote more time to Bible reading. We need to devote more time to prayer. We need to devote more time to meditation upon the Word and fasting and to fix our eyes on Christ our King. God says this is the sword of the Spirit which will do a mighty work in your heart. We also need to weaken the root, says John Owen. The Spirit works in us a real, habitual weakening of the indwelling sins. Think of your sins as a tree in your heart. Young people, I don't know if you've ever decided to go cut down a tree. And you think it's going to take five swings of the axe. And you're there for six hours. (laughs) Hacking away at that thing. If sins are like a tree we need to be taking a swing at that tree every day. Oftentimes, the sinfulness of our hearts, that sinful tree does not fall in one fell swoop. But it takes years to fell the tree and to burn its roots. Keep fighting. Keep weakening your sinfulness. Keep attacking it day by day. Don't lose heart. Sanctification is not a one-time event, but it's something that needs to take place each and every day of our lives. So we need to increase God's grace. We need to weaken the root. 
And the third and the most effective tool for fighting sin is to have daily communion with your Lord. Remember it says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but is without sin. How was He able to be without sin? It says He snuck away and prayed. He had communion with God every day. Every day He had a daily relationship with His Father. Make communion with God your daily priority. Daily devotions. Family devotions. Prayer with your spouse before bed. Pray by yourself before bed. Pray often. Name your sins that seem to so entangle you and lay them at the feet of your King who can make you into a new creation in Christ. The double-edged sword that God Almighty gives us to kill sin is turning and believing. All, every book of the Bible speaks about sin in this manner. Another way of putting it is this. Repent and believe. It sounds so simple. It's almost too easy. Yet it is what we are called to do every day of our life. Verse 11 says, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its Creator. That is, day by day we are to be renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you don't, one final comment this evening. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you will never be free from sin. It's the knowledge of Christ. It's communion with Christ. It's the grace of Christ that gives us the strength to kill indwelling sin. The more we know Him, the more we know of the purposes of His grace, the more we trust Him, the more we love Him, the more we will desire to be free from sin. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus. It's the knowledge of Christ that frees us not only from the power of sins, but it can free us from the desire to sin. And brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ loves to set sinners free. So dear congregation, we need to realize this evening the deadliness of sin. Heed the warning of the Savior. It is better to kill your sins on earth than to endure God's wrath for them in hell. Yet God has not left us without tools this evening. Turn from your sins and run to Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And He who works in us to will and to do His good pleasure. It's the Spirit's work in us, yet God is calling you this evening to your duty each and every day. Kill your sin. Christ offers us a full and perfect salvation. Regeneration. Salvation happens in an instant, but God in His sovereignty has ordained that sanctification would take all of our lives. Look unto Christ. 
Commune with Him daily, for He loves to set prisoners free. Today is the day. Turn from your sins and embrace Christ. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we pray that You would bend our hands and cut them off. For often we have struck You with our wayward wills when these hands should have embraced You by faith. To help us to discover this evening the sinfulness of our hearts and know that even though our sins are crucified, they're never fully mortified. They're never fully killed. How often does sin rise up again in our hearts? Oh, our crucified but never fully mortified sinfulness. Oh, our lifelong damage and shame. Oh, our indwelling sin and the slavery of a sinful heart. Oh God, destroy our sinful ways that make our lives hell. Point us to the cross that meets our every need. Lord, refresh our minds to heaven and such a great grace that saved a wretch like us. We know Your Word is true, that Your grace alone can subdue sin. And so Lord, we pray that You would give us more of that grace. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.